You're very welcome to a special edition version of the lock-in, the football special, and because it's the time of year. Anyway, here we are. It's just as, the sound is terrible. As well as well prepared as, as well prepared as ever. You speak the truth. Um, anyway, here we are. It's football season in a big way. We have the ladies competing across the water and far, far away in Australia. We have lots to speak about in relation to Saudi Arabia and Qatar and players going for astronomical amounts of money. And we have, I suppose, a little bit of a review of Clare League football and how well that's done this season. We'll have Jim Madden on the phone with us hopefully later on. And we have a very special guest with us today, Brian Quigley, in studio as opposed to on another dodgy phone. The last time we've tried to get Brian in, one couldn't hear the other and vice versa. So here we are. We've had no extra expense all the way down to County Clare, his first sabbatical since 2019, I would say, summer 19. And it's great to have him. Welcome, Brian. And of course, the guru, Luke Fleming. Thanks very much, Tom. It's good to be back. Uh, it's a pleasure to see you, Brian. And, Jeez, you and, sound and, beautiful. And in person, exactly. He sounds, he he sounds crystal clear. He, it's does, like, he does. It's like as if he's here. Oh, <laughs> well, hang on. He is here. Do you know what I forgot to mention, actually? Yeah, what got it, Brian is, is, is going to give us a little bit of an insight into Wrexham and also Rochdale because he's been wearing his Rochdale colours himself and his son there for the last few days in the rain of, of the Banner County. And he has the uh, jacket and all. He has a jacket, yeah. some nice gear. Of course, you know the way we'd be into our navies. Well, um, they've, they've, they have some nice navy gear. Not, you know, as they say, less is more. Yeah. We'll, we'll, we'll talk about that. Yeah. Actually, Wrexham is a, be a good place to talk about. But we'll, we'll, talk, we'll start a little bit further afield, okay? okay. Because um, I think the big thing that has uh, developed in world soccer, world club soccer, Brian, over the last maybe... It's, it's probably been starting in the background over the last year or two, but uh, it's really gathering ahead of steam now. And it's basically the Saudis. And as the man says, the, so- the Saudi Arabian uh, Government Wealth Fund. Did we ever think we'd be talking about this in relation to soccer? And I'd love to get your thoughts on where you think this is... Uh, the, where do you think with regards to Newcastle? I, th- I think the way it's going, Newcastle will probably win the Premier League in five years. I'd say that's just it because it's basically it's all money orientated now. Uh, and where do you think the game is going? The whole concept of in Europe with the, Tom enlightened me, the, the Super League. Do you think the Super League will now have a better chance of happening because of all this going on? So discuss. Uh, I don't think the Super League will ever come to pass. I think what will happen is the the established uh, UEFA setup of Champions League, Europa League, I think they will just adopt more of what uh, the Super League was going to be um, in reaction to the potential of it happening to, to fend it off. I think they'll they'll adapt and change to um, listen to the clubs more, the top clubs, what they want. Um, but I think uh, the reason the Super League got shot down I suppose for want of a better word the last time the most recent time it it reared its head was fan reaction Uh, big clubs like Liverpool and that the the way their fans reacted and it kind of really brought home 
the, in case anyone had forgotten that football is really a game that's owned by the fans. It's uh, no, no matter how big a club it is, uh, the the players and the manager just pass through owners even, and it's the fans that still own the club. But but is it Brian? Right now, I I I know you have the tears, and uh, we'll say the further down the leagues you go, I think that's still true. But at the top level. The money side of things has got so ridiculous now that I don't think what a fan thinks makes one blind bit of a difference anymore. And I think that the bigger clubs are going to look at this and say, well, if I listen to the fans, I'm probably going to miss out on maybe 50, 60, 70 million a year. So do you know what? I'm just going to take the money and run. We'll get a bit of flack for it. But you know what? Uh, If a few of the locals in Manchester or a few of the locals on Merseyside don't turn up, there'll always be a truckload of tours that will come from, uh, you know, Asia or somewhere like that that are they're going to come, they're going to buy a few grand's worth of merchandise in the shop and uh, we'll make the money back that way. I think you're right in terms of the financials. I think uh, the, the big, really big clubs now could could afford to to not to, to play in empty stadiums and just still make a profit on merchandise and on TV money, whereas further down the 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 pyramid uh, clubs still need the the fans coming through the turnstiles to provide a portion of their their income um yeah i think uh it it would personally i'd be sad if if that was the case that um the the kind of uh, i suppose the will of the fans became less and less uh, a deciding factor it would certainly be a really big change to uh, adapt to but I think what's happening in football at the moment is that sometimes when you're in the, the eye of the storm you don't realise just how big the, the potential change is the the amounts of money that have been offered by clubs in, in Saudi Arabia um, uh, the amount of money that's potentially on offer in, in the US for, for top players I think the the power of, of UEFA and the, the whole Champions League is it's being threatened or challenged and players um you know they, they always did go where the money was so that's going to be the case yeah bosman has a lot to answer for it so it would be one way of looking at it but i i'll put i'll, I'll put it to you like this um ronaldo went to saudi he just took the money right has anyone watched the game ronaldo has played since he's left or does anyone pay any attention to him? I suppose the viewership is not really um, in Europe it's I presume it's based in the country itself that they have such a, a population in the Arab states that they're yeah, 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 but absolutely Tom, this, this is the equivalent of putting Ronaldo playing League of Ireland in Limerick and saying that Limerick are just owned by a multi-billionaire this is like sorry no He's they, not going to be watched by, you know, half of Europe, half of America, any any of this stuff. I, maybe I'm wrong, but because I said I, I I've sort of detuned myself a lot from the soccer well, I think thing. At the in 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 a lot of ways, it's this this is such a minefield uh, from a discussion point of view, because we've all grown up with football. We've all grown up with smaller clubs. We've grown up with the English First Division, as it would have been back in the day. You would have had fans that would have realistically only been 
in the catchment of either England or Ireland going across the water to watch matches on a Saturday. There wasn't Friday night football. There wasn't there wasn't there wasn't Sky. There was none of this. So you're you're going from a very raw, basic, um, I suppose, commodity in, in in sport to what it is today. Like you said, money talks, and it's been distorted completely because a Saudi Arabian club with loads of oil reserves can come in and say, you know what, we're going we're going for this player, and we're going to offer as much money as we'll get him into our league. They did it with Ronaldo. I don't think Ronaldo would have gone to Saudi Arabia if there was an equivalent offer. I think his ego is still so... His own ego is so up his own ass in lots of ways, even at his age, that he would have gone to a Benfica, he would have gone to a Paris Saint-Germain. But they, if wouldn't, they, they wouldn't have paid but him, they, but they didn't want him. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. So like, he went, but I'm just saying, his ego would have said, I'm going to play another season in the Champions League. And that would have come ahead of the money. There wouldn't have been the same amount of money on the table, but that would, But nobody wanted him because he's too much of an issue. He, he causes too much of a Ferrari. But the Saudi Arabians, for his marketability, will take him. At all costs, because of what he represents to their viewership or their and their launching pad. Their launch is like having a, a DIY uh, MacGyver rocket that they're trying to get to Mars. Loads of clubs, um, how do you say, would love to get there and, and, and leagues. But the Saudi Arabian League has one thing. It has the gasoline to get them to the moon. Now, how they're going to get there, I think, will be to the detriment of every soccer fan in the world that really believes in in football. I mean, uh, Brian, I mean, you're a big fan of Rochdale and you've 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 written loads of pieces on the club. And I mean, they're a club in, you know, in a, in a part of the, you know, in England that that has home fans, real home fans that live down the road from the club. It's like saying we're, we're sitting here in, in, in Scarif in the GA headquarters here. And I mean, when they have a match on a Saturday. You know, it's the cohort of the community that will come and watch them and then the, the fans from the away team. Luke, I mean, you've done an awful lot of commentary with, with the Camogie and bits and pieces with the lads. How many people would normally come to, let's say, a Clare, a ladies' Clare Camogie game, for example? On average? 100? 200? Yeah, it, 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 it wouldn't be much more than that. Much more than that? Yeah, you know, maybe on, on, a, good, on a good day. Four or five hundred. Four or five hundred. And then you, you transfer that thought to, let's say, Tallis Stadium with Shamrock Rovers. And uh, they have a really, really good infrastructure now. They have a lovely stadium. It's something what Luke has spoken about many times, about having one decent stadium for an area in the in the country. You know, and you, you pinpoint maybe five stadiums and then multiple clubs play out of each stadium. But Shamrock Rovers is a really good example from an access point of view and... But it still has that, that, that club feel, that small stadium feel, and the crowd can get engaged with that as opposed to the Aviva. Even the kids said it to me after the Zambia game, we much prefer here than the Aviva the one time they went. So there's a lot of, there's a lot of different elements to this when it comes to where it's going. Yeah, but Tom, <clears throat> if you had someone that's interested in trying to develop the game, you might say fair enough, right? But... Basically, this is sports washing, green washing. And what is it? To sort of make Saudi Arabia 
look a little bit better in the eyes of the world. But you, That's but, the only reason they're doing it. Yeah, but you, you've often brought up the point about, you know, who cares? Who really, really cares sometimes? Yeah. And the fan is left, the real fan is left behind. Um, sorry to, to jump backwards to go forwards. Um, we spoke before about Americans coming in. Was it with Dundalk or Drogheda? Dundalk. And, they, and, and basically, I saw an article there kind of going, oh my God, this was the worst thing that ever happened. Yet, I think in a previous um, life here in the studio, we probably spoke about this in a positive. Where were they going to go with this uh, project as such? So where has this gone based on the whole commercial element? Well, Dundalk, the, the American company Peak Six, are no longer involved. Um, there was a, an accusation that they just wanted access to the European money um, uh, because being a, one of the top clubs in Ireland, Dundalk would qualify for Europe every year. Um, they're, they're no longer involved. Possibly it, it didn't live up to their expectations as investors. Uh, it, there wasn't the potential really for a club in Ireland to to really go on to the next level uh, and and just to, to go back to what we're talking about the, the Saudi clubs and that where I think that's all going club football in general um, and I think UEFA and FIFA will react to this and th- in fact they've already proposed this the uh, the uh, revolutionary kind of expansion of what we know as the Club World Cup um, so at the moment, it's sort of a little afterthought. Whoever wins the Champions League, you hear a few months later that they're away at the Club World Cup and it's a, you know, there's seven or eight teams at it and it's sort of an irrelevance. They're talking about hugely expanding that and I think that's where uh, Saudi and Qatari clubs will, will, will have places at that. Um, obviously, the top European clubs will have um, seats at that table as well. Um, clubs from America, South America. You talk about modelling on, on the actual national team World Cup. So you, you've uh, 24, 32 clubs at this during groups and then there's knockout stages. Now it would, it would punch a big hole in the domestic uh, league calendars, but I think that's where it's it's going to land. And I think uh, the, the Saudi money... Uh, pulling top players towards uh, their leagues would be with a view to, in a few years' time, getting access to this Club World Cup. And, and that's where they, they will try to... Uh, I think that's where FIFA will try to control it and, and have it directed towards that so that they're still in control. Yeah, and I mean, we look at another club um, not too far away from, from our shores, and that's Wrexham. Over in Wales, I mean, they seem to have had a fairy tale return to to fame. Yeah, but Wrexham is the power of cult, uh, Canadian and American personality. There's money gone into Wrexham, Tom, but you cannot compare a few million going into a club like Wrexham. You can't. What, you, no, you can't about. compare Dundalk to Wrexham. I mean, you you need you need the volume. You, no, you could you could compare Dundalk to Wrexham as a football club. In one way. Right. But it, then when you're talking about the Saudis and the clubs, you you just can't. You can't. No, you, you can't. can't. You can't. You can't compare. Like, if, if you just think about it, and back in 2018, which is only five years ago, the Saudis, will say, got into trouble for basically uh, chopping up a journalist that wasn't writing good things about him. Okay. 
and sort of taking him out in, in a suitcase. Uh, Khashoggi, I think, was, uh, if memory serves right, is the man's name. That's five. That's only five, five years ago. Saudi was shunned. A uh, number of corporations sort of, uh, you know, withdrew or paused investments in the country. So <laughs> they obviously had to think about it and said, right, uh, we need to sort of try and improve the ego here a little bit. So they started investing. Do you know how much money they have invested in sports deals in the last two years? Oh in God. general? Billions and billions. $6.3 billion. Yeah. $6.3 billion. Just let that sink in now for a minute. You have the whole exercise with Live Golf uh, and the PGA started off and sort of half enabled, I'd say, by Donald Trump. And what happened? Money spoke at the end of the day and the PGA balked. Right? So the PGA, the golf in America, golf worldwide, is now tainted by Saudi money, sports there was, a, there, there was a standoff, wasn't there, for a while? Oh, yeah, uh, for about for 15, 15 years. And they came out and basically the top two men in, e, in each group sort of went and did the deal behind everybody else's back, including the players. So it's like the players in golf didn't know. That's why I'm saying the teams don't know. Newcastle, be the same thing. Uh Newcastle are going to turn into, and I'm not comparing uh, the human rights record of, uh, uh, we'll say, Man City, but they're going to turn into Man City. They're go- you know, they've, they've started off quite well, uh, you know, but they're investing, investing, investing. They have, they have a fan base, but that, uh, in a way, if you'd like to see any club do well because of the fan base that they have that have suffered long enough, you'd nearly say it's Newcastle. I wonder you know? could could there be a flip side to all of this sort of where the, their image was so bad because of um, uh, th- the way their rules are in their society um, and this sports washing is to deflect from that or to try to rehabilitate themselves from that. I wonder could the more they get involved in these kind of deals and the more they're um, in our in our sitting rooms and on our televisions, could that have the effect of forcing change in their actual culture in terms of attitude towards homosexuality or um, uh, minorities could 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 actually or their have that toward, benefit. Towards women in general, yeah, I, I doubt it. I, I don't think they care about that. And because I think there's our said money talks at the end of the day. I suppose the thing is, if you're in the room with um, parties that are extremely powerful in world affairs and uh, if they're negotiating different things on a footballing level and a financial level and um, how do you say uh, John basically says now listen lads there's one thing you're going to have to get sorted otherwise we can't go to the next stage and that is your record on whatever you have to make an absolute um, how do you say a sea change completely in relation to this and it has to start from your government. Otherwise, we ain't going any further with this. That sort of pressure possibly would would get them to weigh up. But I equally agree with Luke in the sense that the mindset of people is very, very hard to change. And I remember up in, when it came to Northern Ireland, they always said it'll take several generations 
before the killings and the shit will will really stop and that there'll be a, a more of a respect between the younger generations coming forward than the older entrenched. And it's the same in a, in, in a different psyche when it comes to nations that are set up in a certain way and they believe in certain principles, right or wrong, they have this belief system. And as I said, we would look at things as being completely unacceptable on this side of the world, but they see it as the norm with them. So, I mean, again, it's it'll take I think it will take a while, but I think there's there's arguments on, on both sides. The argument is football without fans is nothing, which is what, you know, uh, the supporters groups in the UK came out with in relation to trying to, I won't say stop it, because I, I think most of them probably realise at this stage they can't stop it. And they probably thought that, you know, the Glazers coming in to buy United, the biggest concern that they had was that they had... Um, the biggest concern that they had was that all the Lasers are taking a few million euros out, out, out of the club. They were right. And that they loaded up with debt. But the Lasers can't compete with Saudi money. No one can compete with Saudi money. And if, if the Saudis came in, I'd say, to buy United in the morning, the Lasers would sell it. You know? Well, I suppose in, in lots of ways, um, being a Manchester United uh, fan for for so many different years, you're you're kind of again. I would be of the the fans make the club and the atmosphere on the Saturday or the Sundays about the fans and the banter between the fans and what they create, and uh, no money can 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 bring that natural passion to the table. But um, like you said, Saudi Arabia is um, evolving with what they're during you know, their their projects are in relation to football but at the end of the day it's they're looking to be I suppose accepted and by doing that they're paying for acceptance into different cultures and so forth and we're you know we're not actually too bad and we're doing this and we're going to pay for that but um, from the scale of Manchester the Glazers well we could go on the the Glazers and Liverpool are pretty much of the same uh, the Fenway group is it? yeah to the same extent if um, there was a decent enough offer on the table there, Liverpool would be sold in the morning, right? There's, there's no doubt about it. And there's a special guest that you want to bring in on the phone. I do. And to all our listeners, uh, we're delighted to be joined by Jim Madden, the guru, our local, um, how do you say, representative of, of Clare's soccer. And how do you say, of knowing every single granny that ever played for Ireland at, at a certain point and the, the young up-and-coming players both male and female in the Irish sport of soccer and of course we're going to be getting your uh, insights into what's happening over in Australia Jim and also we'll go backwards to go forwards we're talking about Saudi Arabia and the how do you say the money that's involved today and Kylian Mbappe having an offer on the table of 270 million euros to go to the Saudi Arabian League um, welcome, Jim, and you can join us by just throwing yourself in at the deep end. <laughs> Thanks, Tom. Uh, yeah, the, the, the Saudi um, experiment, for want of a better word, of getting involved in soccer is gathering pace. Uh, they already have, and they've shown that uh, with Newcastle, um, and the golf, of course, caused this tremendous uh, fuss and that, and I gather they have a a bid in for Man United as well and then of course as you said 
the club out there that uh, that Stephen Gerrard is managing, and they have been managing able to offer uh, Henderson uh, a big deal to leave Liverpool and uh, to really set him up for life. Um, yeah, but Jim, that really, in my opinion, is a game changer that uh, nobody else is going to match. And remember, in Saudi, the guys that go out to play there. We'll have no attacks to worry about. Yeah, but Jim, that, that, that's my whole point and argument with it. You, look at what Henderson did in relation to um, the LG... Uh, the, the LG... I can't even pronounce it. There's so many initials after it now. And it's a little bit like that's been sort of washed out of existence because he's gone to Saudi. And there's a lot of people are disappointed with him because of the great work that he did, we'll say, in, in the UK and beyond in raising awareness in, in, in those issues. But it's like, he's basically, at the end of the day, and Gerard's the same. They've taken the money. They don't care about sort of the quality of soccer they're going to be playing. And, like, Henderson seems like a nice guy, all the rest of that. And he's, he's been at Liverpool for 10 or 12 years. Are you telling me he's not set up for life already? He's a multi-millionaire. Well, uh, yeah, that's, uh, it, it's... It's, it is true that he would be set up. I mean, he was 12 years at Liverpool. He would have been paid uh, quite well. Uh, there was no doubt about that, Luke. But my feeling is that these guys, both the golfers and the footballers, they're professional players. Now, um, it's very easy for to target them. Oh, why are you taking the Saudi money? But yet, most governments in Western in Europe are doing business with the Saudis because we have no choice but to do business with the Saudis. And uh, because they eventually, or maybe already, control a hell of a lot of the energy supply that we can get. Well, sure. So, if, we, if we'd built a few more turbines off the coast of Clare, we might be a little bit better off in relation well, to that. Well, yeah, but I, I tell you now, I'm sitting here in Shannon today and I'm looking at the trees and there isn't much of a movement in the bushes. Yeah. <laughs> Jim, listen, we're we're joined. Jim, um, it's maybe whatever. Um, it's it's not an easy thing to do, and I find that a lot of the media people have this high and mighty view of uh, sports washing and all of that. But these guys, the companies they work for, are probably prepared to take advertising from Saudi-based companies. My uh, my point is that it's all about the money, and they don't care where the money is coming from. Just uh, I I'll, I'll widen out topic a little bit ago, and Brian is here with us as well in uh, studio, uh, Jim. You were invited. You're, as well. you're remote today, but uh, Brian is physically here with us. Um, did the Republic of Ireland not play Saudi a few years and on a few occasions in soccer friendlies? They did. You know, we wouldn't exactly have thought they'd be the first club we'd, or the first team we'd be sort of lined up against. Was there a bit of money back in the good old days with John, you know, an old backhander there? Or would it be that the Saudis would have said, well, okay, if you want to play a friendly against Saudi Arabia, the Saudis would be prepared to pay a few hundred thousand for the privilege rather than us having to pay someone, you know, to try and get Argentina over here? Or, or you could go right back to rugby tours to South Africa um, by the, the, the British and Irish Lions. Uh, back when the apartheid regime was um, still in, in force and the how much of an outcry was there uh, back home at this um, you know it, essentially it's the same thing it's it, it's about whether it's saudi or south africa it's about their their value systems as a society and um, how uh, 
different they are to what we're used to in the West. Um, and, um, you know, by, by going there or by playing them or by taking the money, um, uh, th- does that mean you, you, you're compromised or you have to turn a blind eye to um, what their society is still about, unfortunately? So so in, in, in Saudi, uh, the, the way women are treated or people who are homosexual, um, it's not in line with what we're evolving to in, in the West. Um, and that's still a, a problem. Um, now, personally, I did kind of, maybe it was wishful thinking, would their involvement and in all what we term sports washing, would that ultimately lead to change in their society um, in a roundabout way in that they might realise that they can't uh, progress their leagues any further unless they bite the bullet and, and actually change their views back home. But... You know, you could equally say, well, look, they're so rich, they don't actually care about that. They're just going to not change and just keep trying to buy their way towards acceptance. I'd say the best thing we could do (laughs) after that is now is... Uh, I was mid-rent there, so I'd say the best thing we could do, Tom, is just sort of we'd change topic a little bit and talk to Jim in relation to things closer to home and maybe delve on to the international team because I have my business head spoken now all right very good very good for the next bit Uh, jim madden give us your first of all your your summary of uh the end of player football this season and the wonderful success of newmarket celtic well i mean it was an incredible uh achievement by newmarket celtic to become the first club from player to win the fai junior cup um and to win it uh, and play a lot of games away from home. Now, by winning it and beating St. Michael's from Tipperary, in my opinion, was uh, a very good landmark as well because St. Michael's would have won it, it three times. And in my book, St. Michael's from Tipperary Town are probably one of the best-run junior clubs in, in Ireland. They always produce junior international players and currently they have Jimmy Carr, they have fine facilities there in Tipperary Town, and uh, they play football in the right kind of way as well. Now, they, they took no market all the way to penalties, if I remember rightly, in Jackman Park. But it was a massive achievement for the team there and the work that they have put in uh, under Paddy Purcell and Owen O'Brien, who played all his soccer here in Fairwild. Paddy played League of Ireland with Limerick, played with Fairview and won an FAI medal with them. Uh, so a great achievement. All of the players were clear players as well, which is also very important. And, um, you know, great achievement. And then a couple of weeks later, they were very unfortunate to lose the Munster Junior final, which would have been a unique double. They were beaten by Regional, whom they had beaten earlier in the season in the FAI Junior Cup. And then, of course, in a very tight uh, player league, and uh, they were incredibly keen uh, to win it back, was to get back to winning the Clare Premier League uh, after Avenue took it from them last year. So um, it, it was a great year for Clare Soccer. Great to have Avenue there at the top of the three as well. Avenue probably one of the best recognised clubs from Clare, uh, or from Munster, in, generally in junior soccer. Now, for the coming season, um, I think that Avenue will get back to being the preeminent club and player. 
they have managed to re-sign um, Stephen McGann, who had about seven seasons with Pike Rovers, won a lot of things with Pike other than the FAI Junior Cup. He won the Munster Junior and all of that. Probably one of the classiest junior players I have seen and a player that I always felt I'd pay money to go and watch. He's a big man. He's six foot one or two, very strong. But he, boy, has the subtlest first touch you'll ever see with a player. And he's also very good in the air. So they have him back. They have a player called Na, who Tom would be familiar with there. And uh, I think that they will be very, very strong. The only weakness I see in them, and I have spoken to David Russell, their manager, who is currently on holidays in Greece, I gather, uh, sizzling a little bit. But uh, they do need a better goalkeeper. So, goalkeepers. And Dylan Casey then at centre-half, who I rate very highly as well. Yeah, goalkeepers at, at all levels, Jim, are, are kind of a, a nugget to get. And I think we don't, yeah. uh, at, yeah. at, at uh, underage level, at junior football level, I don't think we put enough effort into training goalkeepers because they can be no, such, no. especially from a point of view of the, the new soccer system that we have. I, I Sorry, I'm just going to put in there, Jim, there's breaking news. Uh, the UK and Ireland's bid to host the men's Euros 2028 is set to be unopposed. So, Jesus, we might get, we're going to be at the Euros in 2028. <laughs> Whoa! We'll talk about that in a few minutes. Oh, Sorry, no, Tom, back you go. Uh, no, that's it. But, um, and, and, uh, and the year before, remember, we have the Ryder Cup across the river here from me in Adair. Yeah. <laughs> well, I just, You'll I, be doing traffic duty for that. Will you re- <laughs> <laughs> I'd be hoping to be retired, Jim. <laughs> Jim, ah, no, you could direct traffic. <laughs> listen, we're, we're, we're watching all it. Sorry, Luke, I shouldn't have said that. Well, I, no, it's funny you mention goalkeepers because even on the, the Premier League stage, Manchester United, Manchester United have spent an awful lot of money in bringing in the Inter Milan goalkeeper, formerly of Ajax. Onana, I think it is, isn't it? That's his pronounced. I know the. I know Rio Ferdinand was trying to get a song together for him for the for the fans in the in the thing. I, I, you could come up with a lot, but seemingly he's a decent shot stopper. But the the reason they bought him is he can really play with his feet, and that's a complete sea change. I suppose the beginning of which started with Allison with Liverpool and also the Man City goalkeeper. That goalkeepers are now. Uh, like a fifth player in your back line if you're if you're playing four across the back I mean your your goalkeeper now needs to come with the ball and De Gea he had a fantastic career with Manchester United but it was it was one of his downfalls and Brian we're going to start with you in relation to this and then we're going to move to Jim Jim is going to tell us all about Courtney now from the our goalkeeper from the the ladies international team go ahead there Brian yeah I'd agree Tom the position of goalkeeper at the top level of the game is is really evolving um probably the the positions that are changing most in in the last decade and and at present goalkeeper and then left back right back what's expected of those players what the the potential that um, managers will try to unlock in terms of what uh, a goalkeeper can do with the ball at his feet um so De Gea is is been moved on for for that reason and um a goalkeeper who can offer you more in, in that space is is really going to go for for big money and as the game progresses and evolves, um, you'll, you'll see changes like that in, uh, in in how teams play tactically. Um, I think when uh, Unai Emery came to Arsenal and he won, um, 
uh, he, he tried to introduce uh, a system where you, you had to just pass the ball and um, um, the goalkeeper that was there at the time, uh, he'd come from Chelsea, I think, uh, Peter Cech, uh, and couldn't buy into that system. And uh, but, but if you have a goalkeeper who can, um, it can really offer you a lot in terms of... Um, just been a, a major force in, in the way the game is evolving now. Well, Jim, uh, Jim, before you jump in, because the thing about it is I'm, I'm, I'm very interested to hear your, your insights because um, Bray Wanders is um, Brian's local club and they have a, I don't know what you would call him, a former Irish international goalkeeper or would he still be considered as a possibility for the Irish? Who is, I can't think of his name now at the moment, we talk about goalkeeper wise with Bray, uh, former Bray Wanderers player who went to. <gasps> Jim, help us out here now. Who are we talking about? <laughs> I, I wouldn't be the, the, the biggest whatever follower he, of Bray Wanderers. But uh, yeah, I think that we, we have uh, here Darren in Randolph, Ireland at the Darren moment uh, a couple of very good goalkeepers. And uh, the young guy that's at Southampton, his name won't come to my mind now. G- Gavin Bazuno. Yeah, Gavin Bazuno. I think he's a serious goalkeeper. Uh, and I think that the lad at Bournemouth who has now got to Stoke on loan is also a seriously good goalkeeper as well. But goalkeepers, the, the secret with a goalkeeper is that they are playing regularly. And I'm a big fan, funny enough, of goalkeepers in, the, in England. I think uh, Ramsden at uh, Arsenal, did I pronounce it right, um, is really a very, very good goalkeeper as well. And there's a guy that's only about 22, 23. Uh, Newcastle have a very good goalkeeper. He's had more clean sheets, I think, in England than anybody else last year in Nick Pope, the guy they signed from Burnley. So while Alisson at City and or at Liverpool and uh, the guy, the Brazilian at Liverpool or Man City have introduced a whole new way of playing. Still, some of the traditional goalkeepers are doing a very, very good job as well. So, um, you know, goalkeepers, it's all about how they organise their, their defence and that. And at Arsenal, if you think last season, uh, I think the goalkeeper was incredibly influential in how defensively they played. And it will be very interesting to see how they develop uh, for this coming season, because in my book, this is really the season that Arsenal have to show that they are capable of challenging at the top. Jim, that brings to mind um, uh, way back uh, Peter Schmeichel, when when the the Danes won the Euros, uh, is kind of what you're saying, that they actually built their their whole style of play around Schmeichel and and how he organised his defence. Um, and he's such a presence, um, and I think some of the keepers you mentioned there, like they, they had that aura or presence about them, and and De Gea had that for a while, but but seemed to lost it, just to seem to lose it in, in recent years, or it came and went, and, and I think that's that's why he's been moved on. He's just not at the at the top of his game anymore. He's he's maybe needs a fresh start uh, as much as United need a fresh start by bringing in uh, the new keeper. Is he going to go to Saudi Arabia, I wonder? Is that his next destination, David De Gea, or is he going back to Spain, I wonder? Now, his, his, his wife and I think his daughter are both in Spain, and they, they never mo- fully moved to Manchester. Jim, any insight into that? 
Well, yes, I think that you are right that he has gone to, back to Spain. Like, I mean, he's another man that has a t- tremendous long career in uh, with Man United. <laughs> he has to be quite comfortably off. So, therefore, yes, I gather it's back to Spain. He has gone. Um, now, whether he... For sure, as goalkeepers, he could probably play till he's 50. And you know something now? You may not agree with this. I think Man United will live to regret for letting him go. Well, then, I think that while he had the odd aberration, the Man United fans tend, in my opinion, to be overcritical of a man making a, a, an occasional mistake. But he kept a hell of a lot of clean sheets last year against what, or behind what wasn't the best defence in, in the Premier League. I, I, you know what, you, you make a very valid point, Jim. And I want to turn to Courtney Elizabeth Brosnan, who is our goalkeeper in Australia at the moment. She plays for the Women's Super League uh, with Everton. And what are your thoughts so far in relation to how Ireland have performed in Australia? Well, I, I think that Ireland have performed very well. The, the team looks to me to be very okay. They don't have a natural goal scorer. And God's sake, we don't have a natural goal scorer at men's level either, other than Ferguson. And I'd be worried that we're over rating him a little bit. But um, I think that we have a very good organised team. And then I think in um, uh, what they got, the McCabe's, I think we have somebody of outstanding talent. I watched how she rounded three defenders and left them for dead the other day and uh, fired in a shot that would have, in my opinion, ended up in the corner of the net, except for one of the uh, Canadian defenders getting her leg in the way to deflect it out for a corner. Uh, her ability with corners has to be seen to be believed. She whips in corners that are dreadfully difficult, in my opinion, to defend against. Uh, and men could take a hell of a lot of lessons from the way she takes the corners with pace and with accuracy. So I think that basically uh, the team, for the first time, remember, it's not that many years ago, since they stood in Liberty Hall looking for to be recognised properly by the FAI, it's less than 10 years ago, is it? I remember, I think I think they came off a flight and had to give their tracksuits to the youth team going away on the next flight. Something bizarrely yeah. like that. It was mad. Brian, give us your give us your insights and then Luke is going to come in with his um, thoughts. Yeah, I'd agree with Jim. I think they've performed very, very well um, in the two games uh, for their, their first time at a, a major tournament final. Um, they really were unlucky in getting such a difficult group. Um, Canada, one of the top 10 teams in the world. Australia, host nation and, and another one of the top 10 teams in the world and probably one of the strongest African teams, uh, Nigeria, who we will play in our third game. But I think they've only lost the two games by by a single goal and they've acquitted themselves very very well I think you couldn't ask before the tournament uh, I kind of feared they're not going to progress beyond the group uh, but what I hoped was that they'd do themselves justice in in their performance and I think they've done that they've performed very well I I do agree that we we lack natural goal score like I think it it has been a, a kind of a defensive approach uh, defensive based approach from from Vera Pau certainly in her time there um, and, and they've built the game around that um, and it served them well in terms of getting 
to this tournament and they have given Australia and Canada a run for their money and only just been edged out in those two games so I think they've they've really done themselves and us proud Just one thing you mentioned there about her time with the team is this her time with the team because she looks jaded she looks quite when you when the cameras go on to her and I mean she looks uh, a, a woman that has been through the mill and that's just from a visible point of view. Luke? I am not in a suitable enough position to comment. I, I'll come back and talk about the women's game, but I think we say she's had a lot of uh, stress in relation to issues, we say, from when her time in the States. That, uh, and there's various accusations that have uh, gone around the place in relation to that. Uh, the only thing I would say is that I, if, if you were to compare... Uh, the performance of the ladies and Brian, the last time we spoke they had qualified and the group had been announced and you had serious concerns for, you know, you said I, I would compare to, it could have been like the Euros, it was a 2012 where we went to Poland and got absolutely hockeyed in the men's game and not at the races at all from what you're telling me and the little bit that I've seen the ladies team girls team, whatever you want to call them, don't wish to be sexist in any way, they are competing at a very strong level. And you said they're they're up against, and I suppose this is what uh, we probably need to realise, and Brian, you've spoken about it, the powers in women's soccer, the power in women's soccer is not in Europe. It's in America, Asia, and, um, uh, you know, around there, you said, the, you know, the, the women's soccer team they're two times reigning champions all, all the rest of that so they've put up a credible performance they, they've certainly um, I think they've excelled themselves uh, I think to to just lose by the odd goal against uh, really mighty teams like Australia and and Canada um, they, they've just performed beyond expectation and I think you couldn't ask for more than that um, to, to go that distance to a tournament um, their first major tournament um, when, when they're playing such strong opposition to um, deliver performances that we can watch and be proud of um, I think it's really going to stand to them for the next tournament which I think is what they really should be looking at targeting um, uh, making progress in the next Euros I think the, the team if if the Euros had been their first uh, major tournament I think it would have been better for them than maybe a World Cup where you're playing teams from North America uh, Asia who are uh, these areas are really strong in women's football in comparison to Europe so I think if they can qualify for a UEFA women's finals I think they will really uh, make progress at a tournament like that but having qualified for a World Cup now they'll be really uh, motivated to qualify for the next Euros um. Jim um, your reflections on what Brian has said the Irish team and lastly is Vera Pau the one to take Ireland forward well I, I the, the, the funny enough, I, I the, after the Kennedy game, and there was a bit of discussion about Vera Powell, um, she has done a tremendous job, and it appears that we do have a fairly decent squad of players. Now, um, how many more years is she going to be able to do it? And there is no doubt that uh, some of the international media 
are giving her a hard time over some stuff that went on in, in America. But what they're all forgetting is that there was a lot of problems at a lot of the clubs in America with regard to women's football. And uh, I think, Vera, and it would be the thing that I would only interest me is uh, no interest in what went on in America, but how do the Irish girls feel? Do they feel that they're comfortable with her, that she is doing a good job? And if they feel that, I'd be prepared to give her an extended contract to work uh, with them and to try and develop the squad and see... Uh, who else is coming through at an underage level? We have that young girl that came on as a sub against Australia and she came on against Canada as well, Larkin. Like, if there's more girls of 18 like her, the future is not is very bright in my book. Jim, can I ask a question? And as I said, I'm detuned a lot from lots of things, especially in the country. But what is the state of the girls game in Ireland with regards to uh, have we a decent league where are the players uh, coming from I un- I know underage will say there's a strong emphasis on you know is it enjoying the game and that's probably helped with developing players but where are these players playing and is there any chance that uh, by developing facilities and developing the game we'll say maybe in conjunction with the men's game here heaven forbid there might be a bit of joined up thinking uh, for the benefit of everybody, um, where is the women's game and where are the players coming from? Where are they playing? Well, well currently, uh, the, the League of Ireland, is, <coughs> all of the clubs, I think, if I'm right, in the Premier League, um, in the League of Ireland, probably in the First Division as well, have uh, women's teams. Now, the problem for the League of Ireland clubs is that they are all underfunded with regard to the number of teams they're expected to now field. Like, for instance, a League of Ireland team like Sligo, say, we take Sligo, they're full professional at men's level. They have uh, an under-19, under-17, and under-15. And then they have women's teams at uh, League of Ireland Premier and a couple of underage teams. Now, I think that there has to be an effort to fund the women's side of it and the underage uh, men's side as well a lot better than it is being resourced at the moment. I gather that the figure that they get is around about 25,000 for a season. So 25,000 would hardly keep an Oscar trainer team going in in a league like Clare. Um, So we have, and uh, the FAI have put together a plan that does need a lot of money. And people are saying, well, you know, can we give it to them and all of that? If we want to develop sport in this country and at men's and at women's level, which we do, and uh, then we have to be prepared to fund it properly. And that is the area that I would feel there's a need uh, for to do it and to do it properly. Unfortunately, I find, and I'm a member of the board of the Sports Partnership here in Clare, our Sport Ireland tends to fund things on an annual basis. You can plan nothing if you're only getting funded year to year, you need to know that you're going to have funding over the next three, five, maybe even ten years. Um, And that's the only way that the game at women's level and at men's level will be developed because we cannot rely on going to England. Now, a lot of our girls are actually playing in England. We have some playing in America. We have one or two playing on the continent. We need more of that and more uh, influence 
with international coaches as well uh, to broaden the appeal of the game, but also to broaden the ability and the, the tactical awareness and all of that of the players. Yeah, Jim, um, just two things. One is about the the ladies' game from an international stage to a local stage. I went to Ballinasloe last week, I think it was, uh, to pick up um, some parts for for the business. And uh, sorry, and um, I was going down a by road, and all of a sudden I saw these lovely placards. Uh, best of luck, Heather Payne. Heather played for one of the local uh, junior soccer sides and girls teams in bits and pieces in the locality. She played camogie and she also played rugby. But she went to the States, um, let's say, from, from a studies point of view. And that seems to be the route an awful lot of girls are getting into soccer is through the States and going to college and so forth. A good friend of mine, now he went to on a soccer scholarship to um or was the new england region and he how do you say he got his studies paid for for the four years and he was a really good player but you had you had um other students there from stowa bucharest from madrid from england you know all right around the globe that were there but they were there based on their soccer skills and getting their studies um what you call it for free basically but that's the the one thing the second thing is you don't i i'm, I'm disappointed now that you haven't name dropped someone that you know um how do you say in shannon that's a, a granny or a grandfather or an uncle or a brother or a sister uh let's say with with either the senior men's team or the senior ladies team so is there anyone now that you're going to drop this week? Well, there, there is um, <clears throat> on, on the soccer level, we had at least uh, two girls from Shannon in the Galway United uh, ladies team or women's team. I'm not too sure what's the correct way to describe it now. Is it women's soccer now rather than ladies? Uh, women's soccer, yeah. Now, um, so on the Galway team that won the All-Ireland, they beat a team from Northern Ireland at Longford Towns pitch last Sunday. And one of the Shannon, ex-Shannon Town girls played very, very well in that. <clears throat> but Tom, to go back to one of the things you mentioned, which I think is, go- is very important, while um, over the years, uh, and I used to be approached by a man from one of the colleges in America, and he used to bring a team in, and they'd stay in the West County for a night or two, and I always organized a friendly. There were teams from... Um, Kentucky University and I mean as they said to me the game and I thought they were absolutely brilliant now, we used to put together an Irish team to play against them um, and the Irish girls played their hearts out but of course the skill level of the Americans was something else but I think as well one of the things that we are not doing here enough of we have very serious investment in our third-level education here in Limerick with UL and with LIT and down in Tralee and over in Carlow and all of that. And I think that these colleges, there should be more scholarships available so that for people, uh, both uh, girls leaving school and fellows leaving school, who don't particularly want to go abroad, but to be able to get an education here and play soccer uh, at a good level, be coached well, is not being done by, in my opinion, the colleges. Because the big thing with the colleges today, both in Limerick and Tralee and everywhere else, is the Sigerson Cup and the other Cup for Gaelic Games. 
soccer is a way down the list of priorities. We need to get that up to scale, in my opinion, a bit. Brian, you want to come in there? Yeah, I'd agree with that. Um, Unfortunately, in Ireland... um, Football, soccer does come behind uh, GAA and, and even rugby um, and when you consider that the rugby pay, playing population of the country is only maybe 200,000 people but I think the League of Ireland clubs are doing the right things uh, and, and in fairness to the FAI um, that they have a part in this they've put in the structure and the pathway in the League of Ireland where you have on the men's side you have under 13 15, 17, 19 uh, and similarly you have underage categories in women's football so uh, the best players in the country can go to a League of Ireland club and progress up through these levels and they don't have to go abroad historically um, certainly in the men's game players would go abroad at 15 you had a very slim chance of making it as a professional and then you had no education to fall back on whereas if you stay and, and are with a League of Ireland club as you go through school and college you have your education to fall back on then plus you're still playing at a, at a reasonably high level and you're still not not too old to move to England or uh, continental Europe or the US and play professional football, but you've got your education. Um, th- the problem is you need more funding going into the League of Ireland clubs, and I think Jim's already mentioned that. There isn't enough funding going in. Uh, it's completely uh, insufficient what League of Ireland clubs are getting and then being expected to run all these underage teams. And I can see that in, in Bray Wanderers as well. Um, it's just not enough. You, the club is then uh, having to go out to try to partner with uh, businesses, trying to get in uh, sponsorship and investment. That way, you're trying to um, t- to balance the books. You're trying to maximise gate receipts and anything else you can do just to, to break even. Uh, whereas I think more pressure should be on government funding to go to League of Ireland clubs, especially on the back of what the women have done in getting to this World Cup and doing us proud of it. And that would be something I'd like to see happen on foot of it is the extra investment into the League of Ireland clubs to allow uh, clubs to operate these teams at underage level.